everybody. Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick. Coming up in this episode, we're going to go for a ride in an F-16, and then we're going to look at all those text messages that you shouldn't be sending. The dream was always to be a pilot, uh, and it evolved. So 9-11 was a big catalyst for me. Actually, my first flight was on September 10th of 2001. Flying F-16 is like throwing a backpack on that happens to have a rocket motor strapped to it. Uh, so when flying it is a lot of fun. Yeah, well, if anyone tells you their call sign, where it came from right out, then you got to kind of look at them funny because they're probably lying to you. You usually have some kind of acronym. I'll give you a hint. Mine does have an acronym associated with it. Uh, but it is something you did or a personal trait or quality about you. Usually not great. There, there's no gene company that's come out with a, uh, you know, uh, a thigh rubbing uh, protection that I know of. If they do, uh, somebody let me know about them, please. Husky middle-aged gentleman market is vastly neglected in the fashion industry. Early mornings uh, are, are kind of like my time where I just relax for an I hour or two. It. How do you have to relax for an hour or two after you just woke up? Like, walk up to that person and, and hash it out face-to-face. Don't send me a text saying, I really hurt your feelings, by saying, you look like Chewbacca. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. It really helps us out. We really appreciate it. I don't think I need to do any build-up for our first guest. He's an F-16 fighter pilot who spent years flying combat missions and serving our country. This is Major John Rain Waters. Was the dream always to be a fighter pilot, or was this something that just kind of happened? It, the dream was always to be a pilot, uh, and it evolved. So 9-11 was a big catalyst for me. Actually, my first flight was on September 10th of 2001, and then obviously the next day, the Twin Towers fell. I was hooked on flying already, uh, and with 9-11, uh, I knew I wanted to serve my country. So that became my focus, and if I could do it while flying, it was a, a double win, if you will, for me. So um, going through pilot training and being exposed to different airframes with different instructors there and kind of seeing what the mission for each one of those uh, would be like was very beneficial, and then I kind of naturally gravitated towards being a fighter pilot. Uh, I knew I wanted to support guys and gals on the ground, and for me, that was the best way to really cut my teeth and to, to go out there and do why I joined, which was to serve this country and then hopefully be able to save lives and help those out who are down there defending our freedoms. When you go into that training, like how different is fighter pilot training than from basically just other kinds of flying? Yeah, every airframe has a different mission in the Air Force, and Guys and girls who go out there and fly those planes spend a lot of time honing those skills. Uh, anything is going to take time to be good at, right? Uh, if you're flying a C-130, you might spend four months in an initial qualification course just kind of learning how to, to fly the plane. But then you're going to go to your unit and spend another two or three months kind of refining those skills and really learning what the mission is of that airplane, whether it's like landing on a 3,000-foot strip that's unlit in the middle of the night in some foreign country. Um, so it takes a lot of time. Fighter pilot, it's going to be an extra nine months of training, specifically just in your, your fighter aircraft, learning the basics of employing the aircraft and how to use the switches. But it's really when you get to your first operational unit 
where you'll spend you know <laughs> your entire career honing your skills. You know, the technology is always evolving. We're always getting new uh, weapons, and so trying to figure out how do we change our tactics, how do we evolve, how we employ the aircraft based on the new technology we get, how do we become more efficient, how do we become more lethal. So it is it is a continuous evolution throughout your entire career as a fighter pilot, and really probably in, in, in the airframe, you never can just be comfortable uh, because if you are, then you're stagnant and you're not going to be as lethal. How much of it is is technical training in the sense that, you know, this aircraft is able to do this, and how much of it is kind of decision-making based? It's a blend uh, of both, and I'd say it can go back and forth depending on what you're doing, uh, whether it might be very, very technical uh, at one time where the decisions you're making are more or less mechanical, uh, you know, black and white. But more, more or less, it's, it's, a, it's a constant flow. It's going back and forth. But flying a fighter, you're managing uh, a formation of a minimum of a two-ship, usually a four-ship. But you could be employing in a, in a force package of 60-plus you know, aircraft, and you might be the mission commander, and you're leading and have to know what's going on and how to best manage the fight um, in that period. And so knowing the other platform, everything from us knowing the other platforms that you're flying with their strengths and weaknesses what they bring to their what they bring to the fight and then what you bring to the fight we say in f-16 we're kind of the, the jack of all trades master of none because air to air air to ground and a multitude of mission sets that kind of fall in between those or bracketed by those it's very complex for the weapons it's very complex with the systems and the sensors that are on board as far as just managing that and then knowing how to actually use those and employ those for somebody that that can only kind of imagine what it would be like up there, how advanced are these aircraft that we're talking about? I mean, obviously, I know that we're advanced, but just is it a whole nother world, or what is it like to fly one of these? Is I think is essentially the question that I'm asking. Flying F-16 is like throwing a backpack on that happens to have a rocket motor strapped to it. Uh, so, when flying it is a lot of fun, uh, but when it comes down to actually going out there and employing it, it's usually fairly high stress. There are moments of very high stress periods. Then there are moments of just complete and utter uh, dullness where you're just trying to, you know, keep your mind active, which might be in your single engine F-16, where you know, always knowing where your nearest divert is in case you have an engine problem going in there. But the, you know, the, the view, for those who haven't flown, um, like the views, like you can't beat. I can't imagine doing anything else. It, it is a tremendous. It's a lot of fun, but it's a lot of fun because it's very challenging. I think uh, I always like having that that drive to be better. And I think that kind of makes most fighter pilots. We always want to be better. We want to be better than our peers. But in the same sense, we also want to make everyone better along with us and try to improve uh, to be the best team out there. I mean, I would imagine a lot of the training and just the day to day kind of it requires a lot of motivation like how did you stay motivated and have that drive now one i always had a passion for flying so i definitely think having an interest in what you do is obviously a key foundational piece of it um, but it is it is a lot of work and you do a lot of sacrifices for i don't think most people realize for a fighter squadron you know most guys are putting in at least 12 hours a day minimum and what it might look like for let's say on tuesday you're going to fly in an hour and a half sortie well, Monday, depending on what that sortie is, you might spend anywhere from an hour to 12 hours mission planning 
for that sortie on Tuesday. Tuesday, you're going to come to work, you know, 5, 5.30 in the morning. You're going to spend about 30 minutes kind of getting everything ready from weather, uh, field status, conditions, things like that. And then you're going to go brief for about two hours, step out the door an hour for takeoff, go fly the sortie for an hour and a half. In that hour and a half sortie, you know, 20 minutes on the front and the back half are just getting to and from the airspace. Uh, so in there, you know, you're, you're having anywhere from 25 minutes to 50 minutes. We're actually doing the tactical portion as far as training. You're going to come back about an hour after you land. You'll be back in the building and you'll start the debris process. And that's where we will get all our learning from. That's uh, where you become better, where, you know, you take those lessons learned so you can go forth on the next sortie and be sharper, be faster, be more lethal uh, for when you go out there again. But that debrief is going to last anywhere from an hour. If it's just a bunch, if it's kind of a continuation sortie with the guys who are fairly experienced to upwards of eight plus hours, uh, depending on just how complex the mission is. Um, and, you know, it does take a lot of motivation to always be willing to put forth a hundred percent of your effort into each and every one of those sorties that, that you get scheduled for. Um, but in the end, you know, when, for me, when I look at it, uh, I'm getting to do something that most people dream of being able to do. Um, I'm going to go out there and serve my country, which for me, I, I take a lot of pride in. Um, and so those are some of the factors that, that, that definitely go into it. But in the end, a lot of self-motivation and drive has to be there because you always want to be the best. Do you still remember, I mean, what do you remember about that first time that you really flew in a fighter jet? Uh, well, so for me, my first flight in F-16 was um, in July in Phoenix, Arizona. It was 119 degrees out. I think I took off right around 1230 in the afternoon. Uh, so one, I remember just, it's a, it's a very overwhelming sense from the, the noise, the different cockpit environment that I've been used to flying in, the speed at which everything is happening. I think when I dropped my oxygen mask, it was almost like I poured out a bottle of water just because there's just so much sweat because it was so uh, hot out there. And then also I'm very, you know, stressed uh, and just trying to take in and figure out what I'm supposed to be doing. So it was definitely one of those things, like it was an incredibly cool experience and kind of surreal the fact like, hey, I'm actually doing this. Uh, but also just the physical environment was was challenging for me. Uh, and I was definitely working to say, to say the least. What makes someone a good fighter pilot? Does it require just analytical skills? Is it a physical thing, or what is it about it? I, I think it's a mix, but it comes down to the attitude. Um, obviously, you can have a great attitude and want to go do a lot of good work out there, but if you don't have the eye-hand coordination or the ability to process lots of data coming at you, it's probably not going to go well. Um, so I do think a blend is the best like i am definitely not the smartest person out there i'm definitely not the most fit person out there uh but having a balance of each one of those i definitely think is is a key the the mental piece you're juggling a lot of information not only what's happening and what your jet is doing but also being able to process what's going on in the environment around you from not only the air but the ground how all those factors come together and how you can be the most you know effective at whatever your mission is there uh, but then again, it is, it is demanding. F-16 is a 9G aircraft. You know, the demo that I've been flying the past two years is not a very, it's not a tactical event, but it's 15 minutes. It's high G 
pulling uh, nine plus G's 10 to 12 times throughout the sortie. Uh, in that period, you know, I'll burn 300 to 600 calories. Um, and now not every sortie is like that when you go out there and fly an hour and a half. But again, it can be demanding um, and very physical in the same, same sense. Is there, like, you fly an F-16. Is there a difference between the different fighter jets? I mean, could you hop in another one and, and take off if you needed to, or are they that different? They're all different, uh, but we, we transition guys between platforms all the time, so particularly as we, we bring the F-35 online. We, the, we I mean, the Air Force has taken fighter pilots from all of the communities from the F-16, the F-22, the F-15, the A-10, because each one of those has a specific mission, such as the A-10 with close air support. That's what their bread and butter is. Um, to the Block 50 F-16, which I fly, which is C, the suppression of enemy air defenses, uh, to F-15s or F-22s where they're doing an air superiority role. Bringing all those people from those various platforms with their very uh, depth or in knowledge of various uh, different mission sets and allow them to build the F-35 mission set to figure out how to best employ the F-35 in the various missions that I'll be doing. When it comes down to it, could you go hop into another fighter and probably fly it around? Yeah, you probably would need someone to kind of show you how to start it and take off and some speeds and things like that. But we, we do have it's a little more uh, training that usually goes involved uh, with that. So most guys are going to spend two to six simulator sorties and then you know, if you're going to go fly an F-35 you're going to fly it solo the first time uh, same with an F-22 so after just a few simulators uh, they'll they'll cut you loose and everything we do we have mutual support in the Air Force so we'll have a wingman there and the wingman will kind of be there to, to chase you through your first couple landings make sure everything looks right if you have any issues or questions you have someone with a little bit more experience in your wing who can help you out while you're airborne so you threw how, how many, you did 53 combat missions? Operation Hair Resolve back in 2014 and 15. Obviously, you know what you're getting into. I mean, are you? is it in your mind that you might not be coming back? Uh, for me, it was never something I really gave too much thought about. It, it definitely warrants uh, the respect, right? You're flying a single-engine airplane um, over territory that is filled with people who do not like you um, and want to do bad things to you. But, you know... I think for me, and everyone is different, but focusing on what the mission at hand is, uh, it was always something you know, that was at the forefront of my mind. Where I was going to go if I had an engine problem was definitely something I was thinking about continuously, like I think most people do. But like anything in life, there's risk. We mitigate the risk appropriately and take the appropriate amount of risk based on the situation. Were most of those missions, were they kind of ground support missions, or can you talk about that at all? No, so right at the you know, Operation Inherent Resolve, when it kicked off, it was purely to address ISIS and the, the growth uh, and expansion that they had in uh, Iraq and Syria. So supporting friendly forces on the ground to make sure they were safe and then eradicate you know, some people who are doing some pretty heinous things to other human beings. You know, that, that, was, that was the mission, um, and that's what we've been fighting Again, yeah, you know, for the past four or five years over there, and just kind of wrapping that up again. When when you or another fighter pilot goes off on one of those missions, I mean, is it kind of the sleepless moments the night before, or is it just after you fly so many? Like, okay, it's Tuesday, here we go. 
Yeah, I, I think, yeah, the first mission for anyone, um, it's like playing the first game, right? Like not knowing what to expect is probably the worst part. But for me, once you kind of figure out how the flow of the mission's going, what the expectations are, it makes it a little bit more manageable. You know where you know where the tanker tracks are. You kind of know, hey, every 15 minutes you're gonna be going to the tanker. You know where the diverts are. Uh, for me, I'm a very visual person, so getting out there and actually getting you know my hands dirty, if you will, uh, removes a lot of the unknowns and makes it a lot better. But again, it kind of comes like, hey, it's it's Tuesday and I'm flying, right? Like you'll get a set of mission materials, and it, it varies depending on where you're going. You review those with your uh, wingman do some crew coordination and then step out the door and go do what you've been training to do for the past year, 10 years of your career, um, to support, support the ground, ground forces out there. Do you ever have any close calls? There's definitely some times with uh, various system malfunctions and things like that that happen. But the nice thing is, you know, for the most part, that is a relatively uncontested environment as far as, uh, surface to air threats and air threats and things like that so it's permissive is what to call it um that made it a little bit better as far as that unfortunately i was over there we lost one of our, our buddies in a, an accident uh, and then we had another a coalition partner that went down that we had been working with so it, there's always risk involved with it uh, but um you know for me i'm very fortunate that we have i think some of the best we have the best maintenance force in the world so when you're flying your single engine airplane uh, thousands of miles away from from friendly territory you definitely have uh at least for me again it's kind of like the warm fuzzy knowing that uh, we have the best bodies out there who are dedicated to their craft to making sure that this f-16 is not only ready for war but can go out there and do it safely and get back home and then you transitioned into demo teams right that's right. That's what I've been doing for the past two and a half years. I, I've always been amazed. Like it looks like you guys are flying so close to each other. Are, is it really that close up there, or is it just it looks like it? <laughs> well, no, it's pretty close. The uh, yeah, I'm a single ship demo guy, so I'm in the demo by myself, and then rejoining with a Warbird P51, P47, F86. Uh, so when I do that, you're flying three feet from them. Uh, Blue Angels, Thunderbirds, like those. Those demo teams are anywhere from three feet to 18 inches. Um, so it's a lot of metal going really fast, so they are pretty close together. Does anybody ever go, though, like, hey, guys, maybe we shouldn't be doing this? Like, <laughs> these are $50 million machines flying at however fast. Well, so every, safety is first and foremost, right? Like, with anything we do. Um, and it kind of goes back to that risk mitigation, right? Like, if you're in combat, people are dying on the ground, you're going to take more risk. Uh, and your that that envelope opens it up. But for flying an air show, like there's zero tolerance for any kind of risk uh, that's unwarranted, right? Um, so everything we do, again, is like safety is first and foremost. So it comes down to training. So we spend a lot of time training, making sure everything we do is safe. If there's something uh, such as like the weather, uh, where maybe it's affecting visibility or discernible horizon, we'll start backing things off. We'll maybe not roll when we normally would roll, so we're getting spatially disoriented, things of that nature. But it absolutely is one of those things that if someone says, hey, this is not really smart, that's the environment where people are like, you know what, that's probably not smart, maybe we shouldn't do that. But again, 
from someone in pilot training after three months flying a T6 in the Air Force, you're going to have a guy who is right off the street flying three feet from the wingtip of their classmate in the weather shooting an instrument approach. So we build a really strong foundation to make sure that we can go out there and execute the mission safely. And then we have kind of some, I would say, good deals like demo teams. Uh, you know, we're just building upon the foundation. In terms of like fire, uh, fighter pilot recruitment, are they generally searching for people or are they weeding people out? Like, is it pretty easy to get good candidates? It ebbs and flows, right? So we, one, you, you have to meet a certain criteria in order to be a fighter. Um, there's just, again, that skill, like I said before, you can have a great attitude, but just because you have a great attitude doesn't mean you can go out there and fly a fighter, right? Like, I have a great attitude, but I guess what? I can't go play basketball. It's just not going to happen. It starts in pilot training, and it's going to be everything from how well you did flying, academics, how your instructors think you work uh, with a team, um, and then it's going to come to like, they're going to look at all that. Everyone's going to get racked and stacked from number one in the class to number 30 in the class. They're going to look at what the students want as a you know, dream sheet, as we call it, as far as what they want to go fly. And then the Air Force say, hey, this is what is available. Um, and they'll kind of whittle it down, but it comes down to the needs of the Air Force. So at times when we don't need a lot of fighter pilots uh, because guys are staying in or whatever it might be driving that force, uh, then fewer people are going to track the fighter route. And then in times when we need a lot of fighter pilots, we're going to send more people uh, down that pipeline, but they're just going to meet a, a basic set of criteria in order to get in. Um, so I would say there's lots of, we call it like points in the training pipeline where guys and girls are going to either vector one way or the other, and then they still have to meet those metrics once they get into that training program. So in pilot training, everyone's going to start out on a T6, they're going to spend six months, and then the class is going to split at that point. Some are going to track fighter-bomber, some are going to track cargo-tanker, and others are going to track helicopters. At the conclusion of the fighter-bomber track, which is flying the T-38 for another five months or so, um, they're going to track either to a fighter or a bomber, and now they can also track back towards a, a heavy aircraft as well. Those who are selected to go on to fighters will move on to another program called Introduction to Fighter Fundamentals and spend six weeks kind of learning the basics of being a fighter pilot as far as like basic fighter maneuvers, surface air attack. Um, and they had the washout rate is probably somewhere around 10 to 20% there. And then they'll actually move on to their weapon system, F-16, F-15, A-10, and everyone's got to make it through that program again where, you know, you might have a class of 10, maybe one washes out um, from that. And then you finally move on to your first fighter squadron, which at that point you're pretty much been vetted to that point. But guys still uh, could occasionally struggle once they get to their fighter squadron. And it requires remedial training to actually moving them to a different platform. I mean, I would imagine that you fired some of the weapon systems on there. When you do that, are you... Are you really conscious of what is on the other end of that, so to speak? Or is it kind of, I've been trained to do this, and this is what the training has taught me to do? Both. Um, so no matter what, like when you're taking a human life, and it doesn't matter how bad the person is, like it's still a human life. So it warrants, to make, it warrants you to go through the process to ensure that this is actually a valid target. Um, and warrants this level of force to be utilized. 
And then once all that has been met, right, that's going to be a mix of the guys on the ground giving you information saying they need a, a bomb on this target, ensuring that that makes sense based on what you have understood the battle space to be, um, and then to actually set the aircraft up to employ the weapon properly so that you ensure the target is destroyed and it's done so without affecting uh, anything that should be protected to ensure that you're not going to hurt friendly forces on the ground, etc. Do you ever struggle with it afterwards? Have you ever struggled with that? For me, uh, I have not. I think all the decisions that I have been forced to make airborne or been a part of, it comes down to you're in the moment assessing what is happening, uh, making sure that the target warrants this level of force uh, to be employed against. And for me, every single time, uh, it has met that criteria, right? Um, because it's either going to mean friendly forces are dying or civilians are going to be hurt in some form or fashion. Um, uh, and, and I guess for me, I don't lose, I don't lose sleep over the fact that really bad people are trying to do bad things. Um, and that is my job to go out there and stop them from doing that. Are you ready for the hard questions? Oh yeah. <laughs> Who's the coolest fire pilot? Like well, that's, are they, that's are probably that's the next question easiest. <laughs> but <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I, I mean, even among the fighter pilots, like is the F-16 guy the coolest? Is the A-10 guy the coolest? Like, who's the coolest fighter pilot? Yeah, I think we all think we're the coolest. I, for me, um, man, each plane brings something pretty awesome to the fight, and knowing and knowing that and respecting that, I think is the key piece because we none of us can go out there and do it all alone. Uh, I mean, sure, there's obviously some mission sets, yeah, like, you don't necessarily have to have everyone there every single time. But if we're talking about going to fight a big war, we're all a team, um, and we all bring a different aspect of the fight. We all need something from one another to go out there uh, and and be successful. So, um, uh, everyone should just be a fighter pilot, right? <laughs> but nobody's ever like, man, I wish I got to fly that plane. Well, I think everyone says they wish they got to fly that 16. Um, I think you'll you'll hear some people say, though, I mean, me included, I would like to fly the A-10 just once so I can shoot the gun, and now it's on record. But uh, I also like flying fast. So, you know, again, I just want to do it once. <laughs> is I mean, is, is the F-16 faster than the A-10? It is, considerably. I like to get my buddy, who's A-10 demo pilot, Shiv, a hard time. Um, you know, he, he's putzing around at, or trying at really 300 knots, you know, but the F-16 is uh, Mach 2.05. It's about 1,500 miles an hour. Um, so, so you really can get up and go in the F-16. It truly is like, again, strapping a rocket to your back and just going. Um, so flying fast, you can't go wrong with that. Can you feel it when you break the sound barrier or when you're in the plane you don't notice? I, yeah, I think a lot of people get really disappointed because I get that question all the time. It's really anticlimactic in the aircraft because uh, you're just watching it in the HUD, the heads-up display. Uh, just it ticked from 0.99 to 1.0 to 1.01, and for you it, in the in the jet, you don't hear anything, right? Because all the, the sound is behind you. Yeah. And then also, I get people like, "Oh, it's really loud," but uh, honestly, we're in double hearing protection, and you know the exhaust is pointing the other way, um, so 
you know, for us in the in the jet, it's really not that loud. Who's so your call sign is Rain, right? It is. How'd yep. you get How'd you get that? Well, I think that's that's probably a few beers uh, into this podcast uh, before I could tell you that. <laughs> One of those kind of situations, <laughs> yeah. huh? Yeah. Well, if anyone tells you their call sign where it came from right out, then you got to kind of look at them funny because they're probably lying to you. Oh, so like <laughs> there you, you go. That's a little, a little impact. Do you wait? So somebody else gives it to you, or do you get to come? Do you have any say in it? Oh, you you get zero say in it. So it is a term of endearment that your peers come up with. It's always you know usually has some kind of acronym. I'll give you a hint. Mine does have an acronym associated with it, uh, but it is something you did or a personal trait or quality about you. Um, usually not great that you know <laughs> your peers will come up with and they name it to you right it, it keeps you humble it's another way to just put you put you back in your place right oh, so is it one of those things that like it sounds really cool but it's actually might be kind of an insult at the same yeah. time i mean mine mine is really cool but you know most people yeah it's all it's always an insult no it's uh it, it just depends it depends there's some that are really great out there uh and then there's other ones you hear like man they they must have really hated you. Uh, so it just, dep- <laughs> it just depends. All right. who's who, What's the best one you've ever heard and the worst one you've ever heard? Well, the worst one I don't think I can say. You know, the Marines and the Navy are notorious for, like, literally some of the worst call signs. And by worse, I mean just brutal. We're like, man, they really hated you. Um, it's, and then you – can, You can cuss and stuff on this podcast. It's, it's explicit. <laughs> Yeah, the Air Force will probably come after me after that. Uh, but no, the the Nate the, again. I encourage your listeners. They go out there if they just kind of you know Google or run into a Navy pilot uh, and see what their call sign is. They'll like one. There's usually a lack of creativity, or they're just plain out brutal. Uh, most of them are not Maverick, you know. We're like, oh, that sounds cool. Um, and then we have some in the Air Force. I'd say I probably can't again go into it, but. Uh, I got some buddies who are really great at creating acronyms. So, you know, if you get someone in your unit who thinks they might get away with something or that they're better than other people or whatever it might be, uh, they're usually quickly humbled and they're done so with like a call sign that sticks with them for the rest of their career. I can, all I'm imagining is like Joe Bedwetter Smith. Like. <laughs> you know, I think Bedwetter actually might be a Navy call sign that I've run across at a red flag, which is like, yeah, that's got to be a hard one that when you, when you graduate and your parents ask you what your call sign is, you tell them it's bedwetter. Like, <laughs> but again, all the more reason to join the Air Force, I say. <laughs> is there a competition between the different, you know, the different service branches as pilots? Or are they, is it one's kind of like the best and the others are looked down upon or anything like that? In a joking okay. manner. I mean, yeah, that, we, no, obviously. I mean, I, I got several buddies who are uh, F-18 drivers in the Navy and Marine Corps. So it's always fun to give each other grief. Um, I'll actually say, like, I I ended up having an emergency with a brake failure. I took a cable at NAS New Orleans, so it's a Navy Navy base, and I was just ridiculed beyond belief because I had to take a, a cable, you know, or a trap, as they call it in the Navy. But mine was the departure into the runway. Well, yeah, all those guys are used to landing on a boat that's 100 yards long, whatever it is. Uh, so like, oh, well, you needed 8,000 feet to stop. Well, yeah, of course I did. I'm in the Air Force. Like, taking a cable is a significant emotional event. Um, so we'll go do exercises together, like red flag. 
So it's always like, no kidding, comes down to like competitions with uh, weapons, employment, accuracy, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but then again, like just the nature of, I love, you know, giving A-10 guys grief for being slow and <laughs> they'll make a bunch of A-10 or F-16 jokes too, you know, so it goes across services as well. Have you ever used the fact that you're a fire pilot to gain favor in the dating arena? <laughs> well, fortunately, no, I met my wife early on and she is thoroughly unimpressed, so, uh I will say I did have a buddy who uh, was, you know, he was trying to meet some meet some women at a, at a bar one night. Uh, he was competing with some accountants, and uh, when they found out he was a fighter pilot, uninterested. When they found out the other guy was an accountant, super interested. Um, so times are changing, you know, like people are chasing dollars versus just awesomeness. I guess. <laughs> As a U.S. citizen, I feel like that guy should be out of the military. Like if he can't. <laughs> If, yeah. If he's a fighter pilot and he loses to accountants, we got to get him out of there, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's self-critiquing, and that's how you get a call sign. Yeah, that's <laughs> Joe let down. <laughs> like, That'd be a kind one, you know. Golly. Okay, this might be the hardest one of all. Well, I feel like this is the first one is easy. The second one might be hard. Best movie about a fighter pilot. It's cliche, but it, it's Top Gun. There, it, it is, uh, I think the Air Force and Navy, like, it was like the recruiting dream video back in the 80s and 90s. Uh, none of it is true, like hit the brakes and fly right by you. Uh, but it is such a good good movie, uh, I think, still. And maybe it was because I was a kid and I watched it, and I was like, I watched it, you know, a hundred times, and that was, a, you know, a part of like, I want to go do that. So there's probably some nostalgia, nostalgia attached to it. Um, <laughs> but there's a lot of Hollywood in it, too. Worst movie about a fighter pilot. So, uh, what is it? It's behind Emmy Lines? I just, maybe because I was a little bit older when I saw it. Uh, it it's, I can't watch it when they're, just, they're out running a surface-to-air missile for like two or three minutes. It's just, it's so painful. In all reality, that would last about mm, a, a second and a half or so. Uh, but, you know, I guess it's not too... It's not the worst movie in the world, but it's it's painful for me to watch. Somebody wants to become a fighter pilot. What's the best advice you would give them? Um, so it depends on where they are in life, right? Because people start their journey to be a fighter pilot at different points. You have to be in pilot training by age 33 in the Air Force. So, like, hands down, earlier the better, right? Um, and then if it's a kid in high school, work hard. Uh, everyone, right? work hard, be dedicated. But good grades to start out with, be involved in programs, that you're passionate about, whether it's like soccer or whatever club, grow in that, be the best in that club or sport, become a team captain, show some leadership, uh, and then get involved either in the Air Force Academy, Reserve Officer Training, ROTC, or Officer Training School, OTS, after you have your four-year degree, because um, that's going to be the initial path to getting uh, into the Air Force and becoming a commissioned officer, which then you can go be a pilot. But no matter what, it's it's a long journey, so hard work and dedication. Know that there's going to be hiccups, there's going to be speed bumps, and pushing through those is probably the toughest part because it is such a, it is a marathon. Uh, so having the stamina to keep pushing forward and knowing that, hey, you're going to have a setback here and there and not just completely quitting um, is key 
to being successful and pursuing to become a fighter pilot. Um, but yeah. And then another big piece I tell people is it, it is competitive in nature, but you can be competitive while making those around you better. And that's what we're looking for in the Air Force. Uh, we all want to be better. Uh, we all want to be the best. And ideally, you're the person who wants to be the best, but then also make the person next to you better than you and thus bring them up uh, along with you and bring the whole unit up together because it's going to make you, in the end, much more effective. I want to thank Major Waters so much for joining us. If you want to connect with him, we have linked to him on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. He has some amazing pictures that really show what flying in one of these fighter jets is really like up on his Instagram. And he's also got, he's got some really cool plans moving forward. We couldn't get into it, but I think, I think he's somebody that you're going to want to watch and you're going to want to follow because he's got some really cool stuff, really cool stuff coming up. Okay. Now let's go ahead and give John Shaw a call. Hello, sunshine. What do you look for when you go shopping for pants? This is, might be quite embarrassing. I I probably go pants shopping five times a year, so I'm not, I'm not very picky at all. I, I would say, geez, I don't even know what I look for. I mean, I get the, literally the same pair of, of blue jeans. You go shopping for pants five times a year? Three to five, I guess, would be more accurate. That's, more accurate, probably. I think the acceptable number of pants shopping for a man is twice a year, one to two times. <laughs> What are you doing to your pants? Why are you wearing out your pants so quickly? Well, you know, when your thighs rub together, they, uh, you know, they, they wears out the, the inner seams pretty quick. Do you have, do they have friction burns? <laughs> there, there's no gene company that's come out with a, uh, you know, uh, a thigh rubbing uh, protection that I know of. If they do... Uh, Somebody let me know about them, please. You know what? There is, an, there is a ma- massively neglected market in the husky gentleman. Husky middle-aged gentleman market is vastly neglected in the fashion industry. <laughs> is it? I actually think uh, because I, I shop uh, or I should say I'm part of that category. Uh, I would say that most clothes now are actually – it's kind of pathetic in a way because most cl- most clothes now are either have like the relaxed waist or like the you know you can buy like size thirty four uh, shorts like khaki shorts with like an elastic waist so they actually go to like thirty six but they market them as thirty four. Okay, first of all, don't throw out those numbers like you're either of those. I I wear size thirty six pants and shorts, motherfucker. Oh, okay. All right, sure. All right. <laughs> <laughs> wow, he just got aggressive there. <laughs> he just got pretty. He just got pretty upset. Somebody's pretty proud of their number out there. <laughs> I just, first of all, also, why do you say blue jeans? Everybody knows I, what you're talking about. You can just say jeans. You don't have to put blue jeans in there. It makes me feel like you're talking about something other than jeans. I don't know. I've, I've always grown up saying blue jeans. No, but don't tell me you've. You did not grow up saying blue jeans. You just grew up saying jeans. Yeah, like every other normal person. Listen, you cannot damp dampen my spirit because football is upon us, my friend. I'm actually doing my fantasy football draft right now and have successfully <laughs> picked three players in a row that have injuries. I'm so, I'm so happy you brought that up because I, 
I think we should have a moment of silence first for Sebastian Janikowski, your favorite player of all time. It's tough. He is no, I don't he know is what no kicker longer to in choose. the NFL anymore, thank God, finally. I don't know what kicker to pick. He was the only player that I ever wanted to get was Sebastian Janikowski. I mean, go with the next most unathletic kicker you can think of, which I don't know who that is off the top of my head, but yeah, it's difficult. Somebody out there. It could literally be anybody. Actually, I think the kickers are still quite athletic. Um, are you <laughs> are you generally aware of the consequences of your decisions? Uh, I mean, that that depends. If I yes, when I'm sober, no, when I'm not. I don't know. I feel like you're probably 80% aware. I'm not going to give you any higher than 80, though. I mean, I guess, I guess give me a scenario. I mean, I, I mean, Daily are life? you talking about like just simple things in life or, or are we talking about something more deeper than that? I don't really want to think about it that much, to be honest with you. I mean, I think you're <laughs> overthinking it, right? Listen, can we, can we just talk about the last episode for a second? I've had more people comment on the fact that we had a, a, a sex educator on. She's a sex coach. You can say it. It's not like you're in second <laughs> grade and you can't say the word weenie out loud. Oh, trust me. I've heard about that as well. I never should have said uh, peeny weenie. <laughs> that, was, um, that, that was the nickname your girlfriends gave you? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, I, I should be more aware of who listens to this podcast. See, so, and, uh, and that's a great example of how of you not being aware of the consequences of your decisions. That you know that that is, that is an accurate statement. Yes, I I guess I just realized that nobody listens. Uh, so I was not aware that apparently people do listen. That I know personally. Uh, so yeah, so that 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 is a good to. So right there, that that now drops me down to like sixty five percent. Yeah, it's probably going to continue to drop throughout the day. I feel like you probably <laughs> start off your day at around eighty to eighty five, but by the end of it, I bet you're down to like ten percent. I would say probably uh, after I drop my kid off at daycare, which is about two hours into my morning, I'm already at like ten percent. Yes, what? I'd say you're right. What are you doing that you're dropping your kid off two hours into your morning? I mean, I get up pretty early. I mean, I'm usually up by 5.30 a.m. Okay, what are you doing? Just getting ready for the day, you know? Just, yeah, but what, uh, I, I understand that, but what do you do? What's the first thing that you do? Well, I put on my headband and my short shorts, and I go for a backwards jog around the neighborhood. Uh, and I, any fence I find, I hop it once, and then I, I just exit through the regular gate, and then I continue on my backwards jog around the neighborhood. Okay, I feel like that's not true. What do you actually do? <laughs> uh, you know, I've I've always been. I mean, it's quite boring what I actually do. I, I just early mornings uh, are, are kind of like my time where I just relax for an I hour or two. Why do you have to relax for an hour or two after you just woke up? Like, ooh, well, I, mean, man. I mean, that's <laughs> gotta relax from all this sleeping. Well, I mean, maybe maybe relax isn't the right word. Maybe it's like me. Getting mentally prepared for the day to come. Why couldn't see? I don't understand that though. You've just wasted your. You've spent an hour to two hours mentally preparing. You could have actually been doing something in that time. I mean, I don't say that I don't. I, I didn't say don't do stuff, but I mean it's it's just my new task: laundry, dishes, you know, whatever I can do to help around the house, you know, things like that. Or okay. or maybe I'll, I'll watch, you know, 
sports center for an hour and a half. I mean, it, it all depends on the day. Why don't you just sleep though? I don't understand that. Like you're just waking up to watch TV. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't know either. I don't. I think. I mean, I probably average four hours of sleep a night, maybe. See, but you're waking up to do nothing. Like that. I don't understand I, that. I, I mean, I, I, I guess I don't understand it either. It's just the way it is. Don't, but don't tell me you get eight hours of sleep, probably, right? In your no, no. Captain I, America pajamas. I go first of all, they're not full PJs. I go little booty shorts, and that's all I wear. <laughs> Second of all, you could get more sleep, right? Like, wouldn't you be more productive if you just slept? I get about seven hours. I try to get seven hours. Of course you do. I well, I'm not waking up in the middle of the night to just watch TV and think about my day. I mean, maybe it's it's probably all me. I mean, it has to be all me. But that's just that's just the way I am. I, I don't know. I, I can't give you any more reasoning. Do you have a segment? Are you ready? I, I am ready. Okay. I, here's what I here's what I want you to do. Are you on a mobile phone right now? I am. Yes. Okay. Go find a little door stopper. Like a door stopper, you know the thing on the back that goes. And I want you to make a beat with that. Oh my god! Uh, I don't know if I have one in my house. What kind of house doesn't have a door stopper? I mean, I have a door stopper, but they're they're solid. They're they're not the ones that do what you're talking about. Okay, well, just find one and do something with it. <laughs> oh, you got to get those stairs checked. <laughs> I'm just surprised I'm not out of breath. All right, let's. Uh, this is the best I can do here. Here we go. <laughs> you didn't do anything. You just pulled it. Make a beat. I. It's it's stationary. You can do something I mean, with it. Okay. All right, that's a little bit better. I mean, the first that first part was really terrible effort on your part. Just, just, uh, just edit it out. It'll be fine. I feel like right. you have very narrow stairs. Do you have very narrow stairs in your house? Like, are you? A, it seems like you're a slow stair walker. Like you're holding on to something. You're being careful about each step. No, I'm not actually. Have Have you ever fallen down the stairs though? Yeah, dude. I've been drunk before. <laughs> uh, have you ever done it sober? No. <laughs> no. I I've, I've never done it drunk. I've done it sober or I'm sorry that doesn't make sense. I've never done it drunk, but I've done it uh, you know, sober. What? So which one? Did you, you said <laughs> you said the same thing to out of myself. <laughs> <laughs> Do you even know? Do you even know? I, I think I'm drunk right now. I've never fallen down the stairs drunk. Only when I'm sober have I ever done it. How long after you landed at the bottom, how long did you contemplate your life and how much pain you were in? <laughs> well, I've done it twice. The first the first time I was carrying a box, I missed the last step, and I came down like on the side of my foot. That doesn't count. And then the, the, the second time, I was carrying – I thought I was being a badass. I was carrying like three or four of those big Tupperware bins. <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, there were my stairs, uh, the, the, the ceiling slants as you go down, like I would assume most staircases do. And I didn't realize that, you know, the things I was carrying, you're laughing, is not making me any easier telling the story. Anyways, so as I was walking down the steps, 
the <laughs> top one hit the hit the slanted you know ceiling, and then that came on, cracked me in the head. I lost balance, <laughs> dropped him, flipped over a couple, and went down about I don't know seven or eight stairs. Did the stuff in the Tupperware come out of the containers? Of course it fucking did. <laughs> I had just moved like we had just moved into this house, and I, I was oh I was so mad. Did you ask for help? Did you have? Did you call Melissa? Did you call the wife? No, of course not. You can't do that at no, that point. I, can't. I I actually try to act like nothing happened, but of course I sound like a rhinoceros falling <laughs> down. You know, the stairs. So she came running in and or running through the doorway and looked down the stairs, and I can only imagine what uh, <laughs> what she saw when when she saw you fall down the stairs or saw you at the bottom of the stairs. What do you think her first thought was? Oh my gosh, I hope he's okay. Or why did I marry this man? He's embarrassed me again. <laughs> uh probably neither. I'm I'm sure the first thing she said was I hope there are no plates that are broken. <laughs> <laughs> so Yeah. You know. I I ask her every day, you know, if, if she, you know, regrets marrying me she doesn't really answer she just you know stays looking on pinterest on her phone so well yeah i think women have an amazing ability of denial right like she can just ignore the problem all right let's 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 get to your segment let's move this along jesus christ you're right all right so first question and this was a question we that we asked on twitter uh but i'm curious what you do and i do you sneeze when you sneeze do you keep your eyes open or close them you close them. It's physically impossible to keep them open. If you did, you'd blow your eyes out. I, I have several several people that tell me, and there was at least twelve percent of the, uh, you know, ninety votes casted. Twelve percent of those people said that they keep their eyes open while sneezing. Well, they're wrong. You can't. You can't do it. It's not possible. Just for the record, I I agree with you, but people say that they can do it. So well, they're wrong. Know. They're just wrong. Uh. Oven baked potato chips or regular potato chips? Oh, oven baked. Just because it sounds fancier. I don't know what the difference is, but I like the fanciness. Like, ooh, oven baked. I'm going to get those instead. <laughs> You're not a big potato chip guy, huh? No, I'm a big potato chip guy. It's just that I don't, with, with my, for people who don't know, I don't have a sense of smell. So I can't really taste the difference between things that well. So it, to me, it doesn't taste any different, but this, the mindset of oven baked is like, oh, these must be better. Fair enough. Um, this is more of a, I just want you to s- say the first name that comes to your head here, but uh, say you have the first pick in your fantasy football draft. Who are you taking? The best player. <laughs> Come on, you can't give me any kind of name. Saquon Barkley, probably. That's who I would take. Okay. All right. I'm impressed that you even know who that is. Yeah, dude. What's your? Are you ready for your next segment? Are you ready? Let's let's do it. Um, any chance you could stick your fingers in an electrical outlet? <laughs> I mean, I can, but do you have, gonna happen. Do you have anything metal next to you? Uh, yes. Okay, bang it against an electrical outlet and make music that way. <laughs> Idea, get it but. pretty close. Like we're just gonna see what happens. Get it kind of close. Give me a good beat, but it has to be metal on an electrical outlet. All right, there we go.
That's pretty good. Um, Thanks. Are you sure that was an electrical outlet, though? That, that I, I can post it on our social media if you want to see which outlet it was. It sounds a little bit like it might have been a light switch. No, that's, def- that's definitely an outlet. Okay. What did you use metal? <laughs> was it? What did you use metal? Uh, a, <laughs> uh, a, a metallic tin that used to uh, hold a candle, actually. <laughs> hey, it's almost fall. What, what, what new candles have you bought this week? Uh, you know, I don't know yet, but I, I, I believe... Me and the wife are going to the store a bit later, and uh, I'd be happy to share on our social media which uh, which which candle I pick up. I'm I really, thinking, I'm, I'm thinking like an apple spice. I really think that you should start sharing pictures of you buying candles, and just have your flavor of the flavor of the season. However you go, post a picture of you buying a candle. You think that that would be a way to up our Twitter followers if I if I just post <laughs> pictures of me with my different candle buying of the week? Yeah, I like that. I like that idea a lot. Brought to you by Long John Silvers and ProfessionalPodcastSolutions.com. No, well, first of all, you got the name wrong, but it was close. I I, I give you credit for, for trying, and I respect you and appreciate the fact that you put it out there. For all people right. who don't know, I recently have started a podcasting company professional podcast productions john was close so if you have a if you have a podcast and would like to pay me money to create it and help your business grow i'm all about it even though john can't get the name right i I guess i'll give you some love on the facebook pool this week uh, again because uh you crushed me apparently i put red too low and because i had gold in it uh in my list that's the reasoning why people voted for you yeah, I mean, those are bad decisions on your part. Red is no less than a number two. It really isn't. Um, and gold doesn't belong anywhere on a top five colors list. I mean, I, you know, I'll give some love to our loyal uh, listeners. Uh, Mike Westfall, Dave Lukowski, uh, they're always chatting us up, which, uh, you know, keep keep it going. We appreciate that. Um, the, the sneezing while keeping your eyes open Twitter uh, uh, poll on got a lot of reaction uh melissa not my melissa but a different melissa uh said it wasn't possible uh temka said that only one way is possible but didn't elaborate so i'm not really sure <laughs> which way they think is possible no fo- no follow-up whatsoever i like it <laughs> and i'm only saying this uh person because i don't want to get cursed forever but witchy woman uh said that it's automatic to close your eyes so i mean there's that I, I'm, I'm, there's gonna be a new, uh, Twitter contest slash poll coming out this week. I don't want to reveal the details just yet, but it, it's gonna have to do with football and the impending NFL season. So if you're at all interested in sports, you're gonna wanna make sure you check us out on, uh, Twitter for that. Mark that down um, on your calendar. You know, and then, uh, something that we stayed away from that I, I just wanna get your opinion on is have you heard the, the, the viral sensation between the Chick-fil-A sandwich and the new Popeye's chicken sandwich. What? You, you haven't seen that going around that uh, there's, I mean, in Detroit, for instance, uh, three Popeye's in the city of Detroit uh, had to stop serving chicken sandwiches because they ran out of them. Because Popeye's released this ad saying that, you know, they're coming out with a new chicken sandwich and somewhere along the line it got convoluted 
that it was better than Chick-fil-A's chicken sandwich. Ooh. So now Popeye's, their chicken sandwich is being compared to Chick-fil-A's. Now, I've never had it. I've had Chick-fil-A, but I've never had Popeye's. But um, I think that's something that we might have to put to the test. Okay. Um, I think that what we should do and professional podcast productions will sponsor you to do this and I'll give you the money. I think that you should go get six of each sandwich, eat all 12 of them in one sitting, and then tell me which one is better. No, let's do five. I think 12 is too much. Let's do five. I don't think anybody wants to see me eating a chicken sandwich, let alone 10 total. Well, no, this is research purposes. This is science. And when my arteries officially clog, uh, are you going to tell my wife or... I'm sure she's already prepared for that day. <laughs> she's just making plans. You think you think that your wife is like thought about your death and prepared for it? No, even though I do have life insurance that I did not have before I met her. So, how much money you got? What what's your life insurance policy? How much are we talking? Oh shit! I wish I knew. I think it's quarter of a mil, probably. Oh right, no, I thought half a million would be a lot. I mean, what? Okay, what do you think? Like, what do you think that you're really worth? Like, if you were to be sold or somebody was going to kill you and pay your family for it, like, what do you think you should really get? I'll start off. I'm going to go three three 325000 is what I'm worth. I think that'd be a fair sum. I'll put me at a quarter mil. You're going to go two fifty? I think you're worth more than that. I'll give you two. Uh, I'll give you three twelve. Three three twenty four. No, three twelve. Because I got the I got the you know business now, so that bumps me up to three twenty five. I think that's what it's, I'm worth. <laughs> um, I mean, truth of it is, no one's gonna give a shit if I get kidnapped. I, I don't think people would really care who gets kidnapped. Uh, no one has that kind of money just to drop, unless you're some rich celebrity or the president of Denmark. <laughs> um, are you done with your segment? Are you done with this? What's going on? Yeah, let, let's let's move on to uh, a top five that I'm. I, I'm I'm curious to hear what what your what your top five is. Yeah, so our top five is top five things that you shouldn't say in a text message, whether these be kind of just things that you shouldn't put down from an etiquette standpoint, or things that you just shouldn't tell somebody in a text message. I kind of went all around. What's your number five? Uh, my number five is uh, starting an argument or having an argument over text of any kind. That's way too complicated. What do you mean? Stu- uh, how, how's it complicated? It's it's. Well, it's not just something that you shouldn't. I mean, you could say anything. That's like okay. So then, don't say a single. Then you should never text because you could start an argument at any moment. I'm saying that if if there's language or something that you want to say to somebody, uh, which the current generation doesn't know how to talk to people face to face, don't text it. Don't text somebody and say, "Hey, you really made me mad today." Like, walk up to that person and, and hash it out face-to-face. Don't send me a text saying, I really hurt your feelings by saying, you look like Chewbacca. <laughs> that's, what if that, somebody... That's, that's what I'm saying. See, I don't, I don't, first of all, appreciate you taking a bunch of shots at our audience saying that the current generation doesn't know how to communicate. They just communicate in a different way. Just because it's not your way doesn't mean that they don't know how to do it. And, and, and I agree with that. However... And when we're talking about sending a message that is just literally you look at it on your phone, I, I just think if you know if you're gonna have some kind of argument or you have something to say 
you know, that is meaningful like that or, or whatnot, you do it in person. You don't do it over a text message. Okay. My number five it applies to men only, and it is just the letter K. <laughs> I actually did not include any of those. LOL, K, JK. They didn't rise I'm guilty to guilty of using LOL, but I think that's the only one that I use. Well, I feel pressured into using LOL or haha because otherwise, how does a person know that you thought the thing that they just said is funny or that you're joking? I feel like it's a necessary evil. I don't want to do it, but I feel like I have to do it. Sometimes a certain people, if they send me something that they think's funny, I would just send them back the James Vanderbeek gif of the slow clap. That's pretty solid. Also, probably the only way James Vanderbeek is still relevant in any way. <laughs> uh, let's see. My number four, uh, I have anything that is uh, longer than like just a simple text to where you have to like scroll to read it. Oh, like let's say more than three sentences, so to speak. Like sure. if like, oh, I, mean, yeah. I can't read this just, book. I, I put, Yeah, I put down like a novel. First off, I don't know if people can can text all that. Secondly, let's be honest, no one really reads the full text message anyways. No, not at all. I, I'm going to give you probably – I'm going to read no more than 10 words in a text message. I think that no more than 10. I mean I, I'm, I think you've caught me in it like where I haven't read the full text before. Like I just it's, – it's all in that person but it's just – I don't know. I just don't want to read a fucking novel. My number four is when somebody texts you can't talk driving. <laughs> I know people that have that setting on your phone or whatever where it's through the car to where if you text them it says, sorry, I can't drive right now or I can't talk right now, I'm driving. I get that. It's the people, and I don't know if this is what you're saying, but like where you text them and they look at the phone and they respond with, I yeah. can't talk right now, yeah. I'm busy. That's what I'm talking about, yeah. right? Well, not that's, busy. I mean, some people are ridiculous. doing something, but it's specifically driving related. Well, then, like, if you're driving, then don't be texting me back in the first place. Yeah, that's that's just that's just terrible. I <laughs> those people have no etiquette of any of any kind, probably. What's your number three? Uh, my number three is uh, first date anything's with, and what I mean by that is with the emergence of social media and online dating. You know, especially when I was doing it. Uh, it's how I met my wife. I would never want to text her like, you know, oh, hey, how are you doing today? Like, this is our first time ever meeting, and I'm going to reveal my soul over a text message. I'd rather call or something. You know, it's just more personable than just than just uh, a text message. I don't – I don't. I'm going to make up my number three right now. <laughs> I have okay. a blank space, so I'm just going to wing my number three. But I think it's it's just over-giffing. Right? Like you can only send one GIF per text message conversation, right? I don't want to see more than one. Otherwise, you just need to be able to articulate your actual words and thoughts somehow outside of a GIF. You get one <laughs> GIF per text message conversation. Other than that, you can't do it. It's too much, right? Too much. Uh, see, I, I'm okay with the GIFs. My, <laughs> the reason why I don't like GIFs or getting all kinds of fucking or pictures is because – I was cheap and only bought the phone, like the iPhone that has a certain amount of memory. So if I have a conversation where I have like 40 gifts, you know, in like the span of four days, my memory gets full. That doesn't mean that you can send me gifts now just to fucking piss me off. 
I think that's probably what I'm going to do. I just got an iPhone finally upgraded from the BlackBerry, so I'm pretty excited about being able to. I haven't figured it out yet, but someday I'll be able to send gifts. Oh, no, no. You got rid of the BlackBerry. Yeah. It was a sad day. Aww. It's still sitting there. Yes or no, did you cry? Or, and did you give it its own burial? I would have. I would have been more emotional, but I was moving at the time. And my son was yelling about something, so I just gave it to him now that it has no service and can't do anything. And he pretends like it's his phone. It's kind of cute. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you kept it alive at least. I haven't realized my draft. Who should I get? Oh, I've been drafting people I didn't even know it. I'm going to go Austin Hooper. I don't know who that is, but I'm going to pick him up. He's a tight end. That's that's not a bad pick. Okay, I got him. He's my boy. Um, What's your number two? Uh, Sending... Somebody, unwanted selfies, or any other kind of sexual photos. My number two is a dick pic. <laughs> I mean, yeah, essentially, I mean, mine can, that's part of mine, yes. I, I've i never done it, but I I know of many instances, and I even have friends that do it. And I always wonder, you know, like, the person on the other end, like, do they really want to see that? I don't know. Like, who finds a dick, like attractive looking not one person i have i have can, can confirm this with wife and other girlfriends no one has ever wanted a dick pic basically what i have been told is that my body and i think most men's body you're essentially unattractive from the waist down I'm like ooh, let's see a good calf like <laughs> let me let me see your th- let me see some inner thigh there what if you were to take a dick pic though what angle are you going you shooting from the top you shooting from the side you shooting from the bottom <laughs> I mean, I, I guess I've never really thought about it. I guess what, whatever, whatever would give you maximum maximum exposure. I would think. I don't know what angle that would be. Would you? But you would work on it, right? Like you wouldn't just snap one pick and shake. You would try to find the perfect angle to make it look as generous <laughs> yeah, as possible. Yeah, of course. You, you gotta, you know, you gotta, you gotta put a little effort into it. <laughs> um, what's your number one? <laughs> oh man uh my number one i think it's pretty universal and it's uh uh telling somebody that you're breaking up or divorcing them oh see i was gonna put that but i think there's an even more powerful one the i'm pregnant text message oh man see do people actually do that i'm sure somebody has i would love to hear people's worst text message stories I, like what's the worst most inappropriate text message you've ever gotten what do you have in your honorable mention? Do you have any honorable mentions? It, I guess kind of goes along with the pregnant thing, but like revealing big life events, like uh, proposing or I guess pregnancy could go, could go in there. Like what would you have done if your wife would have told you she was pregnant over a text message? Would you have cared or would you have been like, you I know, been, like, I would have been a pretty like that's the kind of thing you say face to face. It depends how many kids you have. If you've got like five or more kids, then it's. Okay, I'm pregnant again. Like, all right. And it's Tuesday. Just move on. <laughs> so what you're saying is after the first kid, it doesn't matter anymore. No, I think after the fifth kid. Then you can just – then you can – after the fifth kid, you can say you're pregnant in a text message. But before that, it's not appropriate. Um, I, I have telling telling somebody uh, that somebody died over a text message. Yeah, that's never appropriate unless they're um, in the Himalayas or something. <laughs> which which I've actually been a part of a few times. Um, Deaths in the Himalayas? No, uh, receiving a death notification over a text message. Well, how close are we talking? Are we talking immediate family? 
no friends. Friends are like a, uh, a family member of a friend or something. Yeah, that's. I feel like that's okay. Um, and then this is you know say uh, this is me being a sap, but I have saying like affectionate things over text. You know, like babe or honey or like I love you. Like it has no fill. It's kind of like saying LOL or like okay to me. It's just a filler. You don't text your wife. You love her. Not. I mean, not. I. Not usually. No. You have. What's your wife's nickname again? <laughs> Sexy pants. What is it? Like bumpkiss? Wubs. You never hit your wife up with a love you wubs text message? It's very, it's very rare. Far and few in between, usually. What do you do? You phone call it? Yeah, usually. I mean, we don't talk very often throughout the day, um, but we try to call instead of text. Okay. Wow. What about you? What's on your honorable mention? I don't have any. I don't go honorable mentions, right? If it's not in the top five, then it doesn't make the cut, and I don't think about it. It's kind of like it's like I'm a football coach, right? If you're not on my team, I'm not worried about you. Okay, let's go ahead and bring this episode of the Profoundly Pointless Podcast to a close. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. We love hearing from you guys. We've got our website, profoundlypointless.com, and we're on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, Profoundly Pointless on all of those. It's been it's been really cool over the last couple of weeks because we've really started to pick up kind of in the social media department and hearing a lot more from you guys. And I just want to thank everybody for that because it's, it's always, it's always amazing to hear other people's perspective. So we hope that you guys keep sending in those comments. We really appreciate it. Coming up in the next couple of weeks, we actually have a plan for what's going to be happening. We're going to be talking to an artificial intelligence expert, one of the fittest people in the world and a disaster researcher as well. So it's an equal mix of getting prepared for disasters and dealing with disasters. 